everybody, and welcome to yet another edition of the Time Out with DG podcast. I am your host, as always, Daniel Gotera, coming to you once again from my car. Thought the audio levels and the acoustics sounded really nice on Thursday's podcast, so why not try it again? So here I am, sitting in an empty car in the garage, recording this podcast for all you fine men and women out there listening to it. Thanks for tuning in. Get the particulars and the business matters out of the way first. Go ahead and like and subscribe to the podcast so you can get alerts of when I post the next episode. You know, it's kind of hard. I'm, I'm trying to find the right time to post these, and I, I'm open to suggestions too, so I, I don't know when would be the right time. So I, I posted one yesterday around 5 o'clock. I got some traction on it. Yesterday's episode was about George Springer, the Astros. I talked to uh, James Yasko of Astros County. He was fan- fantastic. Uh, so go back and listen to that if you want. But I posted it around 5 and I don't know if that's the optimum time to post a podcast episode. Optimal time. Optimal? Optimal? I don't know. Optimus Prime? Anyway. Um, I don't know if that's the ideal time to post it, right? So I, I figure if you post it then, then it's rush hour traffic. You get the alert on your phone. Then people can listen to it in your car. I think that that makes sense, right? Or should I do it in the morning so they can have all day to download it? Maybe listen to it at work while they're doing work? I, you know, I'm not sure. I'm sure there's a science to this. I have to research it, do a little bit more on this. So I'm looking for the perfect time to post these podcast episodes. But the other thing is you want to react to the news of the day, right? So I think for now, I'm going to try to post them around about 5 o'clock, 4.30, 5 o'clock is when I'm going to try to get these up. If I can't get it there, maybe 5.36, somewhere around there in late afternoon time. And hopefully that's a good time for everybody. So like, subscribe to the podcast, leave some nice comments if you haven't. Uh, so far, so good. Numbers have been great. Climbing up climbing up the charts in the KHU podcast family, which is uh, always nice to see. So uh, uh, thank you for the support. Uh, if you haven't gone back and listened to some of our older episodes, if you're new to this whole thing, go ahead and uh, listen to those. Uh, lots of cool interviews that I did last year. We took a break from the podcast and are bringing it back in a, on a more regular basis. So uh, go ahead and listen to those. If you're not new and you're coming back to it, thanks for tuning in as always. So today's episode, uh, it was going to be just a Friday mailbag segment just to answer your questions. That's a new tradition that I'm starting on the podcast. Every Wednesday or Thursday, I'm going to post on my Facebook and my Twitter, maybe even Instagram. For you guys, if you have questions, you can ask me anything, literally anything, and I will go through it on Friday's episode of the podcast to answer all of your questions. Got some good ones this week, so thank you so much. I'm about to go through those here in a little bit. But our first topic of conversation is, of course, uh, the legendary slugger from the Atlanta Braves, Hank Aaron, passing away at the age of 86. He is a true titan, an icon, a sporting icon, no matter what sport it is in this country. Uh, Just a, a man who endured so much to accomplish so much. Just a tremendous, tremendous man. I, I never really got the pleasure to talk to him, to be around him as much. I know he was in town to present the uh, Hank Aaron Award to Jose Altuve several years ago, uh, but I never really got to interact with him uh, the way that uh, my guest today did. My guest today is Bill Brown, former Astros TV broadcaster. Uh, he had some really fun stories to tell me about his interactions with Hank Aaron. He was in Cincinnati, so the year when Hank Aaron broke the home run record, which, by the way, he is the home run king. I don't care about Barry Bonds. Barry Bonds should be in the Hall of Fame, in my opinion, but he's not the home run king because all those later numbers were elevated thanks to the old juice, 
So I think Barry Bonds should be in the Hall of Fame anyway because he was a Hall of Famer before he started juicing, allegedly. Uh, but I think Hank Aaron is the true home run king. What he what he endured, as I said, to get to that number um, is just tremendous. Horrible racism, just evil messages, letters, people screaming at him, derogatory comments, just awful, awful stuff. And um, he still pushed through with calm, with grace. I've been reading a bunch of articles today about just how just how peaceful this man was to kind of go about his business, no matter all the different hardships he encountered throughout his journey. But anyway, Bill Brown was in attendance when he hit 714. Home run number 714 was actually hit in Cincinnati. It was the opening series of the year. So as Bill Brown will tell you here in a little bit, will tell me, and conversely share with you, that there was a there was a real struggle whether or not the Braves should start the season at home because he was two away from breaking the record. He had three games in Cincinnati. He could have broken it on the road. So anyway, on opening day, he hits one. Bill Brown was there, so he talks about that and a later interaction he had with him while in the Astros television booth. So Bill Brown, always fun to talk to him. So he shares his thoughts. I'm also including a little brief conversation I had with our uh, KHU baseball analyst, Jeremy Booth, who... Uh, has some very fond memories of Hank Aaron, just a just a role model for him, just looking up to the man. Um, you know, for Jeremy, who's a baseball player who played in the league, it's it's just a it's just a tremendous figure to look up to. And you know, he he's just up there with the greats of all time. And I, I, when I went to Cooperstown, when Craig Biggio was inducted into the Hall of Fame, easily one of the top three things I've ever done. My first, my first, my top experience that I've ever had in this business is going to the White House. When the Astros won the World Series, they visited President Trump in the White House. Just being there, I don't care who's the president, honestly. And, and I, I, I've never understood that, by the way, like people turning down invitations to the White House. I, I mean, I grew up in this country. I, I you know, we, we all have our beliefs. We all think about certain things a certain way. But man, going to the White House, when I got that assignment, man, I jumped all over it. It didn't matter who was in the White House. I, w- I was there. It was such an incredible, such an incredible experience. One of these podcasts, I'm going to actually share my story about that trip. It's just truly remarkable, just being there, um, steps away from the West Wing and in the East Room of the White House. That's by far the best assignment I've ever had. But in my top three is going to Cooperstown. And the moment that I'll remember most is walking into the hall where they have all the plaques on the wall of all the uh, Hall of Famers. I, I kid you not, I know it's cliche, you get chills. I literally got chills when I walked into that room. When I walked into that room, looking around all these amazing baseball players, I, I got chills. Hank Aaron is in there, of course. We've got a couple of Houston legends and Craig Biggio and Jeff Bagwell in there, too. My guy Frank Thomas is there. So, so many. I mean, I just I was blown away. So I highly recommend going to Cooperstown. Um, and seeing all that in person because if you're a baseball fan, if you're a sports fan, you get to really appreciate just the history of the game. Another place I want to go is Canton. Never been to Canton, Ohio for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. That's another spot I want to head to and check that out as well. I was in the College Football Hall of Fame in Atlanta uh, during the Super Bowl a couple years back, the Patriots-Rams Super Bowl. I went and checked that out, but I I do want to check out the Pro Football Hall of Fame because that's another one of those areas that I hear, another one of those experiences that I hear is a, is a must for sports fans. But 
Cooperstown was incredible. Hank Aaron was in there. We lost a legend today. He did a lot in his life, accomplished so much, meant so much to many people. And Bill Brown is now joining us to talk about that and more as we remember the life of Hank Aaron. Bill, it's always great to talk to you. Uh, unfortunately, we have to talk about this, but I mean, the memory of Hank Aaron is is uh, is so strong with so many baseball fans. What what's the first thing you think of when I say Hank Aaron? Well, I think most of us tend to think of our own personal experiences, if we've had any, with with a great man like Hank Aaron. And for me, it was uh, fortunate on my part that I was in Cincinnati on opening day 1974 as a, as a sports reporter, uh, much like your job now, uh, there to do interviews and, and cover the game, not, not actually broadcast the game at that point. And Hank Aaron uh, tied the all-time record set by Babe Ruth on opening day 1974 with a home run off Jack Billingham in Cincinnati. There was a big press conference after the game. And so uh, that's the memory that will always stand out. But then beyond that, uh, I was fortunate enough when uh, doing the Astros games that a couple of times he was brought into the TV booth and went on the air with us. And I think, uh, if memory serves, they started the Hank Aaron Award back around 99, I heard on radio this morning. So it was probably to promote that award right around that time. And then maybe one other time he was on with us. And just always so humble, so gracious. Uh, you know, <laughs> I'm not a big believer that uh, kids should uh, have heroes who play sports just because they're professional athletes, but this guy would be a good one for anybody. Yeah, I mean, his his story is so uh, – there's so many lessons to learn from his story, right? I mean, he what, what he went through, everything that he did to get to where he was. I mean, just just kind of take me back to that time um when he was making the home run chase all the all the pressures that were mounting the conversations that were being had I mean you have a pretty good perspective on that I mean what was it like back then to see a guy like this chase down such a just such a elusive record there were several different factors and I remember when Roger Maris was uh in the process of breaking uh, Babe Ruth's single season record of 60 Maris hit 61 in 1961 he had a rough time from fans who did not want Babe Ruth's record to be broken. Uh, his hair was even falling out that season. He was under all this pressure. And as you know, he was able to complete the process and, and become the single season home run champion. Well, then as Aaron got closer and closer to Ruth's all-time record of 714, of course, there was a different kind of pressure too because there was racism injected uh, in addition to people not wanting to see Babe Ruth's record falling. And uh, just, just the amount of uh, death threats he had, the, the horrible racist letters he had to receive. Um, I, I think he probably had extra security uh, in those days. But even, even after he broke the record, this continued, uh, which, is, which is a sad commentary on our society. But that's what he went through, and he always did it with such grace and humility and a sense of purpose that I think he really set a wonderful example for, for anyone to follow who's going through those types of pressures. But yeah, you look back at his career and just, just take the personality out of it, which was a great personality, and look at the numbers. You know, he played uh, for the Indianapolis Clowns, uh, Negro Leagues, and then uh, he came out from Milwaukee and, and immediately became a hit. He, he actually won a couple of batting titles. But, but just the sheer immensity of what he accomplished uh, in a 23-year in a career 
the fact that he only won single season home run titles four times, just four times. It was just the amazing consistency he had. You know, every year it seemed like he was hitting 35, 45, uh, but, but didn't, you know, like so many athletes, uh, well, Roger Maris had, you know, three, four, five really huge years and then did not maintain the same degree of consistency that the great ones like Aaron do. So that, to me, was, was what stands out for him. He still is the all-time RBI leader, all-time total base leader in the history of the game. And as many who are, are older fans will say, I regard his 755 career home runs as the record, not the 763 of Barry Bonds. Yeah, there was a stat that I read that if you take away all his home runs, he still has 3,000 hits. I mean, I, I mean that's how t- tremendous of a player he was. So what was it like to, to watch him play? I mean, I heard an interview with Bob Gibson. I think it was posted today. He said he – Bob Gibson, this is Bob Gibson, one of the greatest pitchers of all time. He had no idea what to throw him. Could not get it past him. Tried to go inside. Couldn't get it past him. It's just one of those titans at the plate that was just such a, such a treat, I'm sure, to watch for you guys. Yeah, he was. And, you know, as, as with Roberto Clemente, who was one of his peers – uh, just a tremendous outfielder as well. I think that that gets lost in the process. He had been a second baseman coming up early in his career. He actually batted cross-handed for a while in the minor leagues. Uh, you know, how in the world a hitter could hit with those mechanics is beyond me, but, but he could do it. And, of course, he got better when he went to the conventional batting style. Uh, no, complete player, good base runner, Back in his day, uh, players really emphasized the total game. Uh, they didn't get paid just to hit home runs. Uh, they had to do everything, and that's what he did. And uh, just a terrific teammate as well. If you've seen the quotes from, from people who played with him, uh, nothing nothing but great remarks about him as a teammate. What was it, what's it like sitting next to somebody that, that like that? I mean, you, you told me about he was in the booth with you and – you know, what, what's it like sitting next to somebody who I'm sure I never got to be around him, but who has this aura right around him? Like he walks around. I mean, that's who he is. He's just like he's a legend. What was it like to sit next to him? Kind of just have a, a, a conversation like you did, What, no matter what it was about. It's such an honor uh, to be able to, to because, as you know, people like Hank Aaron are usually surrounded by throngs of people. So very seldom. Does anyone get to sit in the booth uh, for, you know, 15, 20 minutes and, and chat about the game and get his impressions on, you know, Astros players who are coming up to the plate or whatever it might be. Uh, but just to, to try to soak in his knowledge and his impressions of the game and hear how he remembered things from his playing days. These are all things, you know, as a kid, you dream about, hey, maybe someday I could meet this person or that player. Uh, yeah, you never really expect things like that to happen. And when you uh, experience that, when they haven't come your way, and you're fortunate enough to be there, you just try to uh, avoid uh, being in awe. You know, that's, <laughs> I think that's a common feeling. I am in awe of this guy, but I have a job to do. I have to talk to him. I actually have to ask him questions. So who wouldn't want to be in this seat right now doing that? But then there's also a little nervousness being around somebody who, who has done what he's done. And finally, I have to ask you over your over your left shoulder. There, you have uh, you have the moment encapsulated with a picture. I mean, that's what, that's a great piece of memorabilia there uh, with his home run. Where were you when that happened? Were, were you uh, were you in the sports office? Were you what were you what were you doing at that moment when he hit that home run? 
I was probably either in the sports office or off that night watching at home, but I was certainly watching on TV. Just uh, it was one of those riveting nights. And, you know, uh, I don't know if you remember this or whether you've read about this, uh, but, um, well, you don't you don't remember it, but you might have read about (laughs) it. (laughs) I came a few years later. Uh, (laughs) A little bit later. Um, In fact, there was quite a controversy before that season started because he had 713 home runs. The Braves opened in Cincinnati with a three-game series. The Braves wanted him to break the record in Atlanta after that three-game series in Cincinnati. They did not want him doing that in Cincinnati. They had big crowds. They had a lot of anticipation. They wanted this to be an Atlanta moment. Well, there was a big uh, argument uh, sort of between them and the commissioner's office about how much he would play. Mm. The Braves were thinking about not playing him. Wow. And, oh, well, what if he had hit two on opening day? Now he's oh, on no, the you're right. record <laughs> and you've blown it. Well, then, right? you then you would have had a front row seat to history. Yeah. So that would have been great. <laughs> that would have been great. But, uh, no, out of all respect to, you know, the home team situation, yeah, I, I think – it happened the way it should happen. Um, many sports fans would agree. But so the commissioner's office sent down a ruling. This is before opening day. He must play in two of the three games in Cincinnati. And I, I just, I don't think there's ever been a situation like that involving the commissioner's office telling a team when it can play a player and when it can't. Crazy. Thank you, Bill. As always, now to Jeremy Booth, who shares his thoughts on the home run king. When I say Hank Aaron, the first thing that pops into your mind. Class. Dignity. Man, I mean, the the words to describe Hank Aaron, whoo, iconic, uh, man, transformative, um, epic, like, humble. Yeah. There's so many different ways to describe that you probably run out of words in the English language or any other language. You know, it's just he is what he meant to to our game and what he meant to society is going to is going to play out over hundreds of years now. I mean, as long as we're around playing baseball, this guy is a legend. And and he, to me, he you know, the way he handled to always know all what you know about Hank Aaron is, is the way he handled when Bonds, you know, broke the record. Right. He didn't go. He didn't go. But he had a big message that was played on their board. I believe it was Pac Bell at the time or yep. three com or something. Com. Whatever it was called. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I remember that. I remember so, that. And so he says all this classy things and he won't talk about the PEDs. He won't talk about all the elect. That's Hank Aaron. And uh, what he meant to our game and our, and our society, it, it's immeasurable. I put it, he transcended the sport that he mastered is kind of how I, uh, I put it. Right. So I, it, when, when you think about just the, the just the raw ability, obviously you're not going to see many players like him again, that what he could do on a baseball field. But man, I don't think a lot of people realize that he was just truly special. He had the gift of playing baseball and he just mastered the sport. Yeah. You know, that's, that's pretty well said. It's pretty eloquent. I mean, he, uh, you know, I, I don't remember exactly how many years he played. It was over 20, but the way he I mean, got, he was a 25-time All-Star. <laughs> there you go. So at least 25, you yeah. know. I mean, it, it's, you know, the way he got to 755 was being by being steady. Good all the time. It wasn't 70 home runs in there. It wasn't 63. It was how good can I be day in and day out? 
he, you know, he um, was a model of consistency. He was a model of approach. He was a model of resiliency. Played a very tough time still for black players in, in the game. And, um, you know, and, and, and of course, you know, he's paved the way for so many to go beyond that. So um, the video of him hitting his home run, 715, seven is, yep. is I mean, blazing in all of our minds. Um, Hank, Hank Aaron is truly bigger than baseball. And it's not often you can say that. You know, in my in my last couple of years, uh, we've lost um, Brock. Obviously, last year we've lost Frank Robinson not long ago. We've lost, um, um, you know, now and now Hank Aaron and, and others. And so the the stars. It was funny. We last time we talked talked about the black community playing baseball. That's right. Yep. And so these are the stars that I'm talking about, and I'm kind of referencing that pre that set the table for the next group. And it's a tale for the next group to help grow the game in these communities. So it's not just a loss for baseball. It's a loss for the communities as well. Um, it's a loss, you know, for anybody, black, white, purple, fuchsia, doesn't matter. They came, they ran across him because um, he, what he meant to everybody who was around him was just bigger than words and bigger than the game. There's no, there's no other better way. I know how to say it now because it, it was something that I was in awe the times I was around him. Do how many how many interactions did you have with him? Like a couple, you, a couple, yeah. Couple. yeah it, it was quick. I mean, once I was a kid, you know, and it's hey Jeremy, this is Hank Aaron. I'm like hi Mr. Aaron, nice to meet you. Hey son, how's it going? I mean, it was one of those, right? And then right. later on down the line, we happened to meet a ballpark, and I was lucky enough to get a couple of minutes with him, you know. And and same thing, you know, Jeremy Booth, Hank Aaron. I was like wow, Mr. Aaron, um, and he just spoke to me softly and directly, and you know, still had some strength in his handshake and. Mm -hmm. uh, Asked me what my job was doing. And I told him, oh, that's great. And, you know, doing some, doing some good stuff in the game. Keep at it, son. You know, that type of stuff. And um, Means a little bit more when a guy like that says it, huh? Yeah, because, you know, I, I've been fortunate to grow up in big league clubhouse and being around some superstars. Um, you know, one of the, the greatest, you know, left fielder in my, in my mind of all time is, is Ricky Henderson. And, you know, mm -hmm. and he's, he's somebody I've been able to be around since I was about four, you know. Um, it's it's not even close, and I love Ricky to death. I do, I do. It's not even close with with the presence that Hank Aaron has, and Ricky would say the same thing. You know, it's it's something that uh, it almost makes you feel like, man, I'm I'm standing next to greatness here. Like I'm in the I'm in, forget what, who who am I? This is great. This is great. So um, he'll live on. You can celebrate him. He's one of those people you can say you can celebrate, and and uh, and the world will mourn a little bit and, and he can rest easy knowing that he impacted millions and I do mean millions upon millions of people. Thank you, Jeremy. Thank you, Bill Brown. One note on Bill, by the way, he's got a new book out, Sportscasting 101, kind of a an inside look at what it takes to become a sports broadcaster. Uh, I'm sure it's great. I need to pick up a copy of it myself, so I'm sure it's uh, it's fantastic. Bill, as I mentioned, is, a, is always great to talk to. He's got so much knowledge of this business, this TV business. He was a sports reporter, then he was a broadcaster full-time. Everybody in Houston loves him. He did Astros games for so long. So I need to check out that book as well, but I wanted to plug his book one more time there. Okay, Friday mailbag segment before we get to my NFC and AFC championship picks. Let's go through the list of questions, shall we? So uh, as I said off the top, it's a new tradition that I want to start on the podcast. Um, Ask Me Anything Fridays, I guess you can call it. Friday mailbag. I'll make a post on my social media pages, and anybody can ask me anything. So I got some good ones, 
The first one I will say is from uh, Tony. Tony asking me, is David Carr a Hall of Fame quarterback? Hall of Fame what? Like Hall of Fame of 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 good driving or I, I don't know. Hall of Fame quarterback. Yeah, I think he I think he may have fell short, but he does hold the record for being sacked so many times. Uh, so uh, Tony, I'm gonna go with no on uh, David Carr being a Hall of Fame quarterback. I do like his brother Derek. I like his game. I do like his game. Uh, but David just was a product of a bad situation, man. Uh, little did we know that the Texan situation was gonna be so, still so bad 20 years down the road. But David Carr, nice man, nice fella. I've talked to him. Not a Hall of Fame quarterback. Uh, all right, next question. What are the chances? This is from Jeff, Jeff Rogers. What are the chances the Texans can salvage their relationship with Watson? Great question, Jeff. Um, I think it's pretty good. I mean, I think it's still there. You know, he's under contract. They don't have to trade Deshaun. Cal just needs to wake up, realize what's going on. Now, there have been reports recently that uh, Leslie Frazier, the Bills defensive coordinator, who was formerly of Minnesota head coach, He's a favorite uh, to be uh, hired as head coach here in Houston. Let me tell you something. If Cal and Nick Casario know what the hell they're doing, they just sign Eric Bieniemy, the guy that Deshaun has wanted this entire time. Just sign him as a head coach. And if you do that and you respect Deshaun from here on out, then, yes, I think it's salvageable. But if they go a different direction with a different defensive-minded coach or somewhere else, I, this could be in for a long haul. Deshaun may want to sit out some games, may want to have some time. But keep in mind, though, the guy that's going to take over the Houston head coaching job, I'm sure wants some kind of assurance that Deshaun Watson's going to be a part of it. Because why would you leave your position wherever you're at right now, whether that's uh, in Buffalo or in Kansas City or Eberflus, the uh, guy from Indianapolis? What? Why would you leave if Deshaun Watson's not going to be a part of the picture? Because if he's not, then this really is a disaster of a situation here in Houston. So I'm sure those conversations are had behind the scenes. But to answer your direct question, Jeff, yeah, I think their relationship is salvageable. You know, Watson is taking a hard line here, but he's he's always been a very respectful guy. You know, he's not wanting to... I couldn't hear what you said. Uh, Siri, I'm not talking to you right now. Okay. Thank you. All right. I don't know why she turned on there. <laughs> but you can hear it clearly because we're in the car and there's no other sound. So, Jeff, thanks for the question. Uh, how about Sharon Dyer? Will the loss of Springer hurt the Astros much? Well, obviously, when you lose a guy like George Springer, a leadoff guy who's had, what, 39 leadoff home runs in his career, all the playoff production that he's had, it's going to hurt, right? It'll leave a hole in the lineup. But you did sign Michael Brantley back, which was huge. Uh, and you still have pretty much the rest of your core still intact, right? Carlos Correa, Jose Altuve, Alex Bregman. Those guys are good. Jordan Alvarez is coming back. He hardly played last year at all, so he's coming back. You got Yuli Gurriel still back. Hopefully he figures out uh, what was going on with him at the plate there towards the end of the season. He's a professional hitter. He'll be fine. Uh, so the, the lineup is still going to be really good. Martin Maldonado has his moments. They're going to be fine, I think, but you know, losing Springer does hurt a little bit, so some guys are going to have to step up. Miles Straw, is he going to command that leadoff spot? Are they going to put him in the nine hole to kind of flip the lineup? We'll see what Dusty Baker decides to do. But, yeah, I think it's going to hurt a little bit. How about this next question? What do you have against yellow wallpaper? 
Uh, well, my lovely wife, Rashi Vats Gotera, asked me that question. I think that was nice of her to jump into my, onto my Facebook page. What do I have against yellow wallpaper? I, I, I don't want to wake up. I, I mentioned at the beginning you like to see the sun to feel energetic. I don't want to wake up and just be blasted in the face with yellow wallpaper. I feel like it's a little loud. Uh, maybe some curtains, maybe like yellow, black, and white curtains, maybe to kind of mix in the yellow, but yellow, wa- straight yellow wallpaper. Can you imagine waking up and seeing straight yellow wallpaper or sitting at a dining table at straight yellow wallpaper? I, your eyes will just be all messed up, I think. Uh, but you know what? She and I, we're, we're building a house together. Uh, we're getting it all the way she wants it. I, a long time ago, by the way, I, I saw when we first started dating, here's a fun story. When we first started dating, I have a bunch of sports memorabilia, right? A, a whole ton of crap that I have. A bunch of White Sox stuff. I've got Astros things from my time covering Northwestern. I mean, you name it, I've got a ton of it. So I knew that if this relationship was going to go on, I needed a special place in the house that we were going to build or live in in the future. I, I was thinking ahead, right? I knew what kind of catch I had at that point, although our our story you know, went Took a couple of twists and turns, but <laughs> I wanted to make sure that I had a room so I could put all my stuff. So I actually wrote down on a piece of paper. I said, hey, uh, Daniel will always have a room to put his sports stuff. And I drew a line under it with a little X and I had her sign it. And she signed it. And to her credit, she's lived up to it. I've always had my space to put my stuff, whether it's been in our first apartment together after we got married or... Our first house that we're moving out of and we're building a new one. Yeah, so she, I told her she could have the rest of the house. I just need a game room and now in a media room and that, we're good. The rest of it she can have. And one of her suggestions is yellow wallpaper. Uh, I sure hope it doesn't come to that because I, I, I'm against the yellow wallpaper. But thank you, baby, for posting that question. Thank you so much. Uh, let me see. Brandy asks, what would you do if you were the owner of the Texans? Well, if I were Cal, I would never speak in public again. That's one. Uh, and number two, I would go to Deshaun say, hey, hey, man, look, I'm sorry. What do you want us to do? What do you want us to do? I'm not one for groveling at the feet of players or giving players too much uh, attention. But I would say, look, man, hey, do you want us to hire Eric Bieniemy? If you do, great, hire him. Nick Casario, make the call. Bam, there it is. Done. This is, this is done. And I would fire Jack Easterby immediately. He's gone. That's what I would do if I were the owner of the Texans. If I was taking over right now, fire Jack Easterby, hire whoever Deshaun uh, Watson wants, and talk to J.J. and say what exactly he wants. Because J.J.'s done so much for the franchise. If he wants to get out of here, great. Try to make a trade work with the certain franchises that J.J. wants. If not, then I would give him his release and let him sign somewhere else. I think that's a good faith gesture. I don't know how much you'd get for J.J. at this point on the market. He's you know, he's a little bit older. He's still very productive. Got double team, triple teamed all the time this year. That's what I would do if I were the owner. Zappy Lacey asked, are you married? Do you have a girlfriend? Are you loyal? Boy, that's a loaded question. Uh, I am married. Also, technically, I guess I, she's my girlfriend, wife, okay. And am I loyal? Absolutely. Oh, my gosh, absolutely. Are you kidding me? Outkicked my coverage for everything in there. So, yeah, I'm absolutely. But I'm flattered, Zappy. Thank, thank you. Thank you for the question. Thank you for the question. Um, here's another one. Oh, from Tim. Tim Fields. Oh, it's a friend of mine. He chimed in, too. What do you think the chances of J.J. Watt going to the Pittsburgh Steelers next year to play with his brothers are? 
Well, I think they're pretty good if they can work out a deal, right? Um, see, the problem is, you know, I was talking with somebody about this earlier. The issue with the Texans is when you talk about Deshaun and J.J., you know, Deshaun is still the leader of the offense, right? As long as you've got him, the offense is going to be great. problem with J.J. is, and there's no problem with him per se, it's what's around him. They, they, they are void of talent on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, they have a couple of nice players, a couple of guys with some upside. Justin Reed's a good player. I shouldn't say devoid of talent on that side of the ball. Uh, Justin Reed's a good player. That's the only one I would keep aside from J.J. The only problem is they don't have anything else, right? So it's going to take a lot longer for that side of the ball to get built up. So it's hard to make the argument to keep J.J. Now, if you just want him here one more season to kind of give him a send-off, a farewell, to, that's fine. Um, but you got to be okay. J.J.'s got to be okay with it. I think you got to check with him to see what he what he'd like to do. Both sides work out a deal. I think Pittsburgh is a logical fit. Chicago is another one because Kalia plays up there with the uh, Chicago Red Stars. Green Bay is another one. You're looking for a team to win right now. Green Bay is the one to go to because uh, they, you know, being in the NFC Championship, they're the closest. they got the best quarterback uh, situation too. So I think that might be the great fit for him going to the, to the Packers. But the Steelers are always an option too. And let me see, what other questions, what other questions do we have here? Uh, what's the name of the podcast? Well, you're listening to it. The Time Out with DG podcast. Thank you for tuning in. I think with that, I'm going to I'm gonna wrap this up because I've gone on a little bit longer than I wanted to. But thank you for all the questions. Thank you for uh, tuning into this thing. I'll see you again on Monday. Hope you have a great weekend. Oh, NFC, AFC championship picks. I can't go against Tom Brady. I'm going with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They will play in their home stadium for the Super Bowl. And with Patrick Mahomes saying he's going to play, I'm going with Kansas City. So I'm going with Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs against Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That is going to be the Super Bowl. And State Farm is going to be upset because they can't get Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes on the same field and have it the State Farm Super Bowl. So Bucks versus Chiefs in the Super Bowl. That would be a fun game to watch as well. Hope you guys enjoyed this podcast. Have a great weekend. I'll talk to you on Monday. We'll talk about those games. We'll talk about WandaVision. Go ahead and watch that on Disney Plus if you haven't. All you Marvel fans, we're going to have some cool guests next week too. So for, uh, for now, have a great one, and I'll see you next week.